If you have a copy of God's Word, please join me in Luke chapter 24. If you uh, didn't happen to bring one along with you or you don't have the app on your, on your device, uh, it's, uh, I believe, going to be page 885 in the Pew Bible, the Black Pew Bibles nearby. Today, Easter Sunday, we gather together especially to celebrate our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And as I was looking at the, the passages that spoke of the resurrection, there were some verses in Luke 24 that stood out to me and caused me to title today's message, Too Good to Be True. Have you ever had anything in your life, that maybe news you heard or someone shared something with you that you just were, were certain that it was too good to be true? It was too unbelievable, too amazing. Perhaps you had already, maybe, uh, maybe it's a medical diagnosis, and you had already resigned yourself to, to how it was going to play out, and then, then the doctor called and said, we can't find any traces of this. It's completely gone. And his news seemed too good to be true. Or maybe it was a, a wayward child that uh, said they, they never wanted to see you again, and they left, and you hadn't heard from them for years. You maybe didn't even know if they were still alive. And then one day, out of the blue, the phone rings. Hi, Mom. It's me. And hearing their voice seemed almost too good to be true. We've all had different events, different news that we heard, maybe we even saw with our eyes, and we just couldn't believe it. On this resurrection Sunday, on the very first Easter morning, there were a group of people who heard that Jesus was alive and just couldn't believe it. In Luke chapter 24, we read the account of the resurrection, and we see that early in the morning, that Sunday morning, Some of the women who followed Jesus went to the tomb. John's account paints it a little bit more clearly, but they arrived there hoping to anoint the body of Jesus with some burial spices. This was a tradition. They wanted to do this out of respect, and they were hoping that they would come there and be able to talk the soldiers into moving the stone so they could go in and just go through this process and then just leave. They went there, and they got a whole lot more than they bargained for. And it tells us in the Word of God that they came there and found an empty tomb. And they couldn't believe their ears. And it tells us in in Luke 24, it says, uh, uh, they were, uh, verse 4 says, they were perplexed about this. And behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, And bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise? And then on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to the rest. And then verses 10 and 11 summarize what happened. It says, Now Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But listen to what it says. But these words seemed to them 
an idle tale, and they did not believe them. (laughs) These were the disciples who had followed Jesus. They were his closest confidants. They had heard more about the teaching and, and seen more miracles than anyone. And even though Jesus had promised that he would rise from the dead, even though Jesus had promised these things would be, (laughs) it just seemed too good to be true. That such an amazing promise, that such unbelievable words would be reality? It can't be. In fact, if you go look later on in the passage... You, you see the same idea uh, crop up again in verse 41. And at this point, they've, they've now seen Jesus. They've heard him speak. They've even touched his, his hands and seen the scars in his hands. And it says in verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And verse 41 says that they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. It's an interesting phrase. I don't know how your, your, tra- your Bible translation renders that. It's kind of a confusing phrase, and it comes across confusing in the English. It says that they were disbelieving for joy and were marveling. It's like there was such a mixture of emotions. They wanted to believe it. They wanted to jump in and, and, and praise the Lord and, and hug each other and celebrate this, but they still just they couldn't totally believe it. So they were disbelieving for joy, disbelieving for joy, and they were marveling. Could it be? Is it real? Is this really Jesus in front of us? It seems too good to be true. The church father, Augustine, described their emotions this way. He said, while they were still flustered for joy, they were rejoicing and doubting at the same time. They were seeing and touching, but scarcely believing. As we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years later, when you stop to really reflect on what happened, when you think about the miracle that Jesus is alive, it still seems almost too good to be true. That our Savior is alive. There, There are a few reasons that I wrote down that I think that makes it seem too good to be true. First of all is that the the promises were fulfilled. The promises that were fulfilled. If someone comes to you today and says to you, I am going to prophesy to you that something good will happen to you today. You think, okay, that's good news, but that's kind of a safe promise. I mean, I already had a good breakfast. I'm going to go have a good lunch. Uh, I'm going to take a good nap. So it's a fairly safe bet that something good is going to happen today. And And you might think that's no big deal, but if someone comes up to you and makes it much more specific and says, I promise you that before the day is out, someone is going to give you a billion dollars, all of a sudden that's a game changer because that's a very specific promise and that's something that just seems out of this world. Like, that could never happen to me. All of a sudden now, because of the specificity of the promise, your ears perk up And you begin to become a little more doubtful, if you're like me anyways. Maybe you've got rich friends and that's a believable believable promise. But Jesus had promised that he would rise from the dead. Back in Matthew 17, he says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. You see, they had heard this before. 
He had promised it would happen. And yet the disciples were nowhere to be found. They weren't sitting in their lawn chairs with a bowl of popcorn by that grave uh, before dawn Sunday morning. They had disappeared. They were, they were hopeless. They, they didn't have anything that they felt like they could look forward to. Because well, they, they just didn't really believe it. I, I, I think that when someone makes a promise to you that seems too good to be true, there are a couple things you take into, into consideration. First of all, you take into, who, into consideration who it is that's making the promise. If it's someone who's a, 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 a shady character or someone who's always playing practical jokes, someone whose word you can't trust, you're a little less likely to, to believe their word. The other thing you take in is the believability of the promise, the, the logical nature of it. You, you might be thinking... Thinking through things and think, I don't know anyone who has a billion dollars that they're just going to drop on my lap. That just, that, I just don't see how that one's going to come true. It just doesn't make sense to me. See here, when Jesus made the promise that he was going to return from the grave, that he was going to live, Jesus had an impeccable character. Jesus had never told a lie. He had never been untrustworthy. And they had already seen him do miracles. For goodness sake, they had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet... They still did not believe. My brothers and sisters, our God has demonstrated through the resurrection that He is a God who keeps His promises. He is a God worthy of our trust. The resurrection is almost too good to be true because of the promises that were fulfilled so specifically according to the Word of God. The second reason that the resurrection can seem too good to be true is that death is defeated. Death is defeated. When Jesus went to the cross and died in our place, and he went down to the grave and and rose again victorious, the Bible says that he defeated death, victorious over the grave. 2 Timothy Timothy 1, verse 10, says that Jesus Christ abolished death. He abolished death and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When Jesus breathed his last and then came back to life again three days later, he made certain that the resurrection would hold no sway, that death would hold no sway, no power. We all know that death is not been abolished from our presence because many of us have been to a funeral within even just the last few weeks. We know what it's like to experience the grief and the heartache of death. I'll never forget one of the very first funerals that I was a part of uh, that that really, uh, I remember it shaking me. I was old enough to understand what was going on was, was my grandmother's funeral when I was in high school. And I still remember walking up to that casket and it just dawning on me that, that grandma's gone. My grandmother, who, who used to, she used to, <laughs> she used to uh, we would get those, um, she loved to get those uh, 
like quilt paints or the, the, the fabric paints, and we would, she, would, she would make a quilt, and then we'd get on the, on the floor and, and draw and color on this, on this fabric and quilt and do our own design and make our own things and those puffy paints and stuff. And uh, Grandma used to take us camping, uh, um, and, and uh, one of the things that we remember most about Grandma is, is her baked goods and, and uh, bringing us things that our parents had told her not to give us, and she would do it anyways, and, and uh, just all kinds of devious Grandma things. I just remember that, that washing over me, thinking, I'm, I'm not going to get to experience those things anymore. It's, it's gone now. And we know that, that the sorrow of death is still very real. But when Jesus says that he has defeated death through, the, through his own death and through the resurrection, what he means is that he's taken away the, the sting of death. That for the Christian, death is not the final word. Death no longer gets the last say in the matter. We still experience this, the, 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 the effects of sin in this world. We all know that our bodies are deteriorating. And, and one day, we will also be ones who breathe our last. But for the Christian, we know that that's not the last word. Jesus promised that if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He did not mean you will escape what every man and woman has experienced since the beginning of time. What he does mean is that for the Christian, death no longer has the final say. Death is not the end. The hope that we have is that one day, death will be once and for all vanquished. John, in the book of Revelation, vividly describes death being plucked up and thrown into the lake of fire. There will be the time when the final funeral is the funeral of death itself. No more will sin wreak its havoc on our bodies. There will be no no more growing old, no more aches and pains, no more cancer, no more Parkinson's, no more SIDS, no more unexplained and tragically early deaths. No more will we gather around the bed of a loved one and whisper our goodbyes. The victory of the resurrection means that God will one day, once and for all, put an end to all death. And those who have trusted in Him will be in His presence forevermore. That is a great hope that as Christians we can cling to. That as Christians, as we face death, as we face The inevitability of death. We don't have to face it with fear because we know the hope that awaits us. Thirdly, the resurrection seems too good to be true because it demonstrates love unimaginable. The resurrection demonstrates love unimaginable. When Jesus went to the cross, He showed a greater love than had ever been shown What's the most generous thing you've done for someone? What's the most loving thing that you've ever shown? Sometimes as husbands and wives, we feel like we're just going the extra mile to, to get up and, and wash the dishes. Or, or maybe sit down and listen to a story that we're in, in our head we're thinking, I don't care about this, this is long and drawn out, can we wrap this up? Is there a Reader's Digest version? But you know what, because, I'm gonna li- because I love you, I'm going to listen to the whole thing, and here you, you give me every last living detail of this story. Or maybe, maybe, it's, 
maybe it's uh, for guys being willing to, to go to the mall for your wife and, and, and go along with her. And you just think, this is, a, this is a major act of sacrifice, honey. I just want you to know how much I love you because I've never gone to the mall for anyone else. Or, or, or wives, some of, you, some of you will go and in, in, uh, in, in spend hours with your husband and Jay's. And I've seen it on your face. You're like, I'm done. I was done before we walked in. I was done in the parking lot. But I, because I love you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for you. Some of us feel like we've made some pretty big sacrifices, some very, very major demonstrations of, God, of love towards other people. But no matter how great our love is for our most beloved loved ones, that love doesn't even register on the great scale of the love that God has shown for us. Peter told us in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Notice the next phrase. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the resurrection of Jesus that makes possible for us to be born again. And it is God's great mercy, His great love, His great grace that makes any of it possible at all. God paints a picture through the resurrection of an unimaginable love that seems too good to be true. See, the God of the universe saw fit to reach out to a human race that wanted absolutely nothing to do with Him. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 reveal that God created man and woman in a perfect environment. They had everything they needed. It was a beautiful place, and there, there were no problems. Everything that God created was good. Everything that God gave them was good. They had it made. But if you know the story in Genesis 3, everything changed. The serpent came along and tempted Eve. Eve ate of the fruit that, that God had told them not to, gave to Adam, who was there with her the whole time. And in that moment, sin came and sullied and tarnished God's perfect creation. In fact, it was so devastating. The Bible says sin passed to all men. Sin affects everything. That's why we have snowstorms the week before Easter, because of sin. It affects everything. Mankind turned their backs on God and rebelled. In the, in the, the story of the Bible is the story of God pursuing His people in love. Time after time, the people said, we don't want you. They turned to idolatry. They, they, they turned to immorality. They went every way but towards God. And throughout the pages of the Old Testament, you consistently see God's patient, loving kindness calling them back, calling them to repentance. Will you please turn? Will you please come? And they would have nothing to do with it. And because of sin, in, in, in the ugliness of sin, there was really only one option available to a holy and a perfect God if He was going to make a way for an unholy and ungodly people to have a relationship with Him. He had one option. 
If God were to maintain his perfect standard of holiness and at the same time reach down and save his people, it would mean putting to death his only son. The only one who could be a substitute for sinful man. You see, only a perfect man could take the place of a guilty one. And there was one man to choose from. One man for the job. God himself made flesh. Come to dwell among us. So God formulated a plan. A plan with intention and foresight and design. The Bible says that it was even formed before the foundation of the world. And that plan was to give his son as a sacrifice for our sins. We mustn't ever permit the thought that Jesus Christ was crucified by accident, that it was somehow the result of an unruly mob that got out of control and God's up there in heaven thinking, what can I do with this? God knew and planned that that would happen the way that it happened so that the results would be that He would be able to bring His own in into loving relationship with Him and to freely offer forgiveness for our sins. Just as the crucifixion was planned by God, so too was the resurrection of the Son. The glorious, happy ending to the darkest hour that the world has ever known. But the Father had to permit His Son to pass through the darkness of the cross to get to the joyful light of the resurrection. You don't get Sunday without Friday. There was no other way. And that, my friends, is love unimaginable. That he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And finally, I think the reason that the resurrection seems too good to be true is that it brings hope eternal. The resurrection brings with it hope eternal. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, he says if, if, if we have only this life to think about and to be excited about, he said of all people, we Christians should be the most miserable ones. But if the resurrection is true, we have so much to gain, so much to be joyful and, and to, about and to, and to anticipate. That's what the resurrection has done. Everybody needs hope. Everybody needs something to be able to look forward to. For some of us, it's little things throughout the day. But for the Christian, and as we're looking at the, at the long road, as we're looking about eternity, knowing that we have the hope of being able to spend that eternity with God, all because of His Son, enables us to face the darkest of circumstances. There were some other men who faced very dark circumstances, who were troubled, who were anxious. That last night before Jesus went to the cross, He was with His disciples, and, and they, they, they knew something was coming. I don't think they fully grasped and fully understood all that was around the corner all that would transpire in the wee hours of the night. But they knew something was not 
going right, at least according to their plan. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. He knew he was speaking to troubled people. And he said, don't, don't, don't let it overwhelm you. And here's why. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I know that Easter can often be filled with a lot of fun. A lot of good memories. Many of you coming to church is just an important part of, of a beginning and, and, and maybe you get to spend time with family. If you have kids or grandkids in the, in the house, maybe you're going to go Easter egg hunting later on. And it can be a, a very, very special time like many holidays. But I, I'm not kidding myself, and I don't think any of us are under the delusion that Everything is okay in everybody's life here in this room today. We might have this layer of happiness because we've got some exciting things going on today, but when the, when the day fades away and you put your head on the pillow and, and reality comes back, some of you have some, some heavy things weighing you down, some heavy things that trouble you right now, some, some big league cares, some things that you've never even told anyone else carrying these burdens. Jesus' words to you today are these. Let not your hearts be troubled. See, this isn't some kind of pie in the sky, wishful thinking, painting rainbows and smiley faces over thing and, and, and skipping away, hoping for the best. This is not a superficial band-aid to our struggles. This is a real living hope, Peter called it. And even though it's, it's an eternal hope that, that we look forward to being with Christ one day, it meets us where we are right now. Because when I don't feel like I can get out of bed in the morning, when I don't feel like I can, can handle one more day at my job, or I don't, I don't feel like I can, I can make it through another day in, in a relationship, or, or, or handle one more decision, God's saving grace and eternal hope enable us to take one more step in faith, believing that our God is able to cause us to endure because of the hope that is laid up for us. Someone protested to George MacDonald, an author, that salvation was just simply too good to be true. The Christian version of salvation by grace alone couldn't possibly be, just couldn't possibly be true. McDonald replied, no, it's so good that it has to be true. Many of you are familiar with J.R. Tolkien as the author of The Lord of the Rings. He loved to write fairy tales. He was a very imaginative writer. And he said he liked fairy tales because fairy tales have happy endings. And, 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 and 
Some people challenged him and accused him of not living in the real world. Fairy tales are fine, but leave them in the nursery. Because because we're realists and we understand that you've got to deal with the grind of life. and, And in real life, there are just no happy endings. Well, he begged to differ. Because he realized that for the Christian, the hope that is laid up for us, if we truly have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, no matter what junk happens here on earth, we're guaranteed a happy ending because of the triumphant victory of the resurrection. One day in a letter to his son, Tolkien uh, coined a word. If you know him, he liked to make up languages, make up worlds, and he he made up a, a new word to describe the Christian resurrection. He called it a eucatastrophe. He combined the the Greek words eu, which means good, and katastrophe, which means destruction. And he brought together two concepts that don't seem to belong together, a a good destruction. And he explained in the letter to his son that the idea is is that, that something that seems bad at the outset, something that seems to have gone horribly wrong in the end results for good and for joy. He says, I coined the word eucatastrophe, the sudden happy turn in a story which pierces you with a joy that brings tears. And he said that the resurrection was the greatest eucatastrophe possible. In the moment which seemed to be the darkest, the defeat seemed to be the greatest. Anyone who could observe what was going on there in the cross would say, Jesus lost. What seemed to be a hopeless situation, God used it to bring about the greatest news that the world has ever known. The greatest change in events, the greatest victory, greater than ever thought possible. I don't know what your thoughts about the resurrection are. I don't know how, how the resurrection has impacted you. If you're a Christian here today who, who maybe has believed this for a long time, my prayer is, is that God would give you fresh eyes to see the beauty of the cross and the glory of the risen Savior. But if you're here today and, and maybe you've been a, a bit of a skeptic, maybe you've just thought, I, I don't know about this stuff. kind of does seem like a fairy tale. I don't believe in happy endings. I don't believe this stuff works out like this. I encourage you to go deep into God's Word. Prayerfully consider these things. I believe as you do, if God opens up your eyes to to see the glory of the cross, you'll see uh, that a Savior willingly went there to give Himself for your sins and for mine. And that by believing in Him and trusting in Him, you can receive eternal life. The story seems too good to be true. The fact is, is it's the truth of God's Word. And we celebrate with great joy that our Savior lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on this Easter, with the the joyful knowledge that Jesus is alive, Maybe, maybe like the disciples, this has seemed to us a bit like an idle tale. 
something that we just can't quite believe, something that just seems a little bit out of reach, a little bit of a stretch. God, may today be the day that you soften hearts to receive and believe in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a glorious thing, a blessed thing. And I pray that all in this room would know Jesus Christ as their resurrected Lord and Savior today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things.